Well, welcome to Inspiring Voice. With all the distractions and the noise in the world, are you able to hear your own inspiring voice? Are you able to use your voice to create those healthy human connections so you can thrive in business and in life? I'm Donna Ristikin Mack, the creator of Inspiring Voice and founder of iVoice Communication. We envision a world where everyone has the confidence and the ability to communicate and to connect. And this is the podcast. We begin the Inspiring Voice podcast with audio from the archives, interviews that were conducted between the years 2003 and 2009 when I did a radio show called Vital Women. You know, when I found these and I listened to them just a few weeks back, I realized that their content is just as valuable now as it was then, so I decided to share. So thanks for listening. Here's the archived interviews and wisdom, some deep wisdom from Vital Women on the Inspiring Voice Podcast. Now, as you can see, the female-producing X chromosome is clearly larger than its counterpart. (laughs) It's a girl! We are from Venus. Your goal is to do cardio or an aerobic workout at least three days a week. When I grow up, I want to be an architect. When I grow up, I want to be a mother, a ballerina, and a doctor. We are from Venus. And lift! We're almost done. Don't give up now. This is Donna Mack, and you're listening to Vital Women on 93.3 Coast FM. We come in all shapes and sizes, from different kinds of backgrounds and ethnic groups. But one thing's for sure, we are better women when we work together to accomplish what we set out to do. And that's the goal of our Vital Women program, to show you the steps women have taken to get to where they are. Now, while the power invested in me, let no man put us under. Now. Our blood flows through each other. Loyal forever. Raise our voices. Yaya! Yeah, yeah. Yaya! Yeah, yeah. Today I introduce you to a woman so giving and accomplished. She's an international leader in the field of mind-body medicine. Her specialty? Families and infertility. Plus, she's a writer, a published author with four books on the shelves, and her name on the door of a world-renowned healthcare center. She's Dr. Alice Domar of Boston IVF. Certainly an intelligent, busy woman, but as we start our interview, it's so nice to hear that her favorite job is that of being a mother. Oh, by far my favorite job. Is it really? My my two girls now are 5 and 10, and they compete about who can love me the most. Oh. And so the 10-year-old obviously has a greater grasp of mathematics. Uh-huh. And so she'll say, I love you to infinity and back infinity times. Right. And the 5-year-old will be stumped. Oh. <laughs> How do you trump that one? Yeah. So I say, Katie, just say plus one. <laughs> right. Oh, very yeah. good. Sounds like the older one is a very good role model for the little one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're still both in the cuddly, fuzzy phases. I think adolescence is looming on the horizon. I'm, I'm just going to hide. Yeah, it sure is. Love it while you can. Absolutely. Do you think either are planning to go into medicine at this point? You know, I'd have to say, you know, they're they're young to say this, but I think the older one, her passion is writing. Mm -hmm. And so I think she's going to go sort of in that direction. And the little one is such a social butterfly. Mm -hmm. I think she's going to go choose something that gets her a lot of attention. 
<laughs> like, you know, maybe a radio host. Or right, <laughs> right. Maybe she'll be the next Katie Couric. <laughs> oh, how cute. What are their names? The older one is Sarah and the little one's Katie. Good morning. You're listening to Vital Women. I'm Donna Mack with Dr. Alice Domar, who heads up the Mind Body Institute, which has actually just been renamed the Domar Center at Boston IVF. Yes, infertility is Dr. Domar's specialty. And she says of all the work she does, mothering is her favorite job. And she commends her mother for helping to lead the way. Well, it's interesting because I think my mother, I think she, she was German. My dad was Russian. And they both were very traditional, I think, in the European styles when they came to this country. You know, my dad was in charge and my mom was the wife and the mother. And... When I was six, my mother decided to go back to school and got her MSW. She got a master's in social work. And I think my father was sort of kind of okay with that, as long as she was still home to make him dinner. (laughs) So so my poor mother, you know, was solely responsible for the home. My father never changed a diaper. I think he was proud of that. And so I watched her struggles as I was growing up to assert herself, to, you know, learn to meet her own needs at the same time as balance the needs of her family. And... So I think the life lesson I learned from her was you have to fight for yourself. You know, and she did. I remember when I was in high school, my senior in high school, some friends and I had had made enough money, you know, babysitting and such, that we wanted to go to Bermuda for spring vacation. And we invited her to come with us because she was a really cool person. And she probably so deserved it. And she so deserved it. And my father said, absolutely not. You are not going on vacation without me. And she did. (laughs) She went with you guys. She went with us. And we had a blast. And well, she brought a friend, and the two, the two women stayed, I think, the first three days. And we had a great time. And I think when she got home, my father realized that he, if he wanted a happy, healthy wife, he had to let her you know, spread her wings and fly. And, but I, I watched that whole battle from when I was a little kid through high school. When it took him that long to figure out that she really needed to have her life. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just about taking care of his needs and the house's needs and the kids' needs. You know, the thing is, Allie, that is still happening in so Absolutely. many relationships now. You're, you're lucky. You're very lucky in a way that you experienced that and saw that, what, 25, 30 years ago? Oh, yeah, longer. Um, <laughs> and yet I was talking to a patient of mine a couple of days ago who was really upset with her husband and his expectations that she still sort of takes care of the home and everything else. And I said to her, I said, tell me about his, his father. Tell me about his parents. And she said, oh, very traditional father. And I said, well, think about it. The vast majority of men in this country were raised by stay-at-home moms. Mm-hmm. And so their model of a mother is someone who is at their beck and call. Mm. And now they're married to somebody who works. And how hard is that for them? I mean, I'm not saying we should get the violence for them. But that's a big transition for a man to make in, in one generation. Yeah. So in a way, you do have to give him the benefit of the doubt. I mean, the poor guy, he really doesn't know any better. I, I totally agree. We do have to give them the benefit of the doubt. I think also they have no idea what we want. Mm. I mean, I was talking to another patient earlier in the week, and, and I've, I've met her husband. I've done some couple of therapy with him. And, and I said to her, I said, I, I can guarantee you that he truly believes that if he brings home his paycheck every week and hands it to you, he's being 100% fantastic. Right. That he really believes as long as he brings home and he pays, you know, the check he pays, the bills he pays, the mortgage, that he's carrying his end of the bargain in a very good way. Mm-hmm. I said, he, he doesn't occur to him that you also expect him to come to the soccer games and help with the laundry and give you a back rub. Those are all things that aren't part of his repertoire of skills. Right. We have to be great teachers. We do. <laughs> in, in a way that is not accusatory. Right. 
buzz, you know, that, you know, you know, sort of, you know, walking a mile in their shoes. I mean, I think these guys are bewildered. I mean, I, I certainly don't want to be seen as someone who's always defending the men. Mm-hmm. But I think sometimes women have expectations of men that are based on what our needs and desires are and, and don't really ex- teach them. Right. We expect them to read our minds. Right, because we do want them to bring home the paycheck. We do want them also yes. to be nurturing and loving and understanding and great listeners. Yep, and great fathers. Right, right. And we want them to help take care of the home, mm-hmm. and we want them, you know, blah, 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 blah. So if we think pressures are enormous on us, we have to come to the realization that they're enormous on them as well. They are. I think that, you know, not, not a whole lot of attention has been paid. I mean, obviously, my entire career has focused on, on the needs of women. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you talk about the needs of women, you have to also consider the needs of men. And, and I think a lot of men, certainly of my generation, are, are somewhat bewildered. Mm-hmm. And, and they've taken on. I mean, yes, they still are not doing 50% of child care and 50% of, work, of the ho- housework, but they're doing a lot more than their dads did. Oh, that's for sure. Yeah. Dr. Alice Domar with us this morning on Vital Women. Good morning. I'm Donna Mack. Now, Allie, you probably agree with the statement that so much of it has to do with a lack of communication skills. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I do a lot of couples therapy, and I, I feel like every hour I'm saying the same thing to every couple. Is to say, you know, you're sitting there. You're the other day I saw a couple, and this, this you know, they got grocery shopping with the kids. Okay, mom gets out of the car with the kids, takes them into the house, and deals with you know diapers and all the other stuff that she had to deal with. And the husband had to unload the groceries and put them away. Mm-hmm. And he was furious that she had not helped him. And I said to him, "Did you say to her, Han, could you stick the kids in front of a video and kind of help me? No, right. she should have known that's what I needed. Mm-hmm. But that's the problem." is, you know, and of course, I'm sure they had a fight afterwards because she hadn't realized what he needed. <sighs> and so, you know, you really want, we expect them to read our minds, we expect them to know what we need, and this goes both ways. And yet, how many fights could you have prevented if you had just said, hey, I need this? Yeah. Or, hey, could you help me out with this? Right. Taking time every day. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because I remember when my husband and I met, we had an extremely easy courtship, dating, you know, getting married. It was just, it was just effortless. And yet, I think it was a couple of years into our marriage that I realized, you know, all my friends had said, oh, relationships are work. And I'm thinking, yeah, for them it's work, for me it's easy. Mm-hmm. But, you know, being in any relationship with anybody takes some work. You can't just blithely go along, you know, make, being happy because you have to make sure that you're communicating well, that you're expressing your needs, that, that your goals are mutual. Mm, to get that on the table early on, because in the working world, there are so many new pressures. I think there's less job stability now. I mean, I think in our, in our parents' generation, you know, a man started work at 22, and he knew he'd have the job till he retired at 65. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. nowadays, there's not nearly that much certainty, plus people, you know, job hop. You, mm-hmm. know, they, you know, they go from job to job to job, especially Generation Xers. Right, right. Um, you know, I think that people certainly are much more able to express emotions and their needs in the workplace than they did 30 or 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. I was talking to someone last week about this who said, you know, when he was working, people would go to work, do their job, and leave, and it would never occur to them to talk about their personal issues at work. Right. I mean, men, if their wife had a baby, might mention she had a baby, but he wouldn't take a month of paternity leave. Mm-hmm. So I think things have changed a lot in the workplace. Okay, now your specialty. Let's talk infertility. Now tell us, are infertility rates getting any better, or are things getting more complicated? You know, I think things are probably getting more complicated. I think that, you know, the success rates with treatments have sort of plateaued in the last five years. I mean, certainly in the last 25 years, we've seen just an astonishing array of technological advances 
that you know first we had IVF, then we which is you know for women who had blocked tubes it was just a miracle, and then you know about 12 years ago we had ICSI, where a man who had literally one healthy sperm could be a father. And so we've seen just incredible progressions in the field. And yet in the last few years, it's plateaued. Mm -hmm. And so I think there, you know, there's some things we're up against that we can't change. You know, egg quality still is a big stumbling block. You know, Mm -hmm. as women age, their eggs get less good. Mm -hmm. And so, you you know, I think right now, pretty much, you know, a a healthy 30-year-old with blocked tubes is an infertility clinic's dream Mm -hmm. because it's pretty easy to get someone in that situation pregnant. You know, a young couple where the man only produces a few good sperm, again, it's pretty easy to get them pregnant. But the couple where she's, you know, 35, 40, 42, where you're seeing some egg issues, that gets a lot more challenging. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Do you have a large egg donor program at Boston we IVF? We have a huge egg donor program. And really? it's interesting because I was just reading the paper, I think it was last week, that said that adoption rates are dropping in the U.S. Really? And they, and they were, in, in the article, they were giving all these reasons why adoption rates are dropping. And I'm thinking, well, I'm wondering, and I don't know the answer to this, maybe it's because more people are choosing egg donation. Mm. It's certainly the patients that I see, many, many more of them are choosing egg donation over adoption than even five years ago. Well, they never had the option before. Well, you know, I think the older egg, oldest egg donor baby has got to be about 16 at this point. Mm-hmm. But it's certainly gotten much more popular in the last few years. And how old is Louise Brown these days? <sighs> Let's see. I think she, let's see, she must be about 25, 26. And for those she, who aren't aware married. of who Louise Brown is, can you explain? She's the first IVF baby in the world. First test tube baby. born in England. Right. You know, she was probably the most famous baby of her time. Absolutely. And we're and all... She's still a celebrity in my field. Well, we're all waiting for her to have her own baby. Yeah, we are. Mm-hmm. She is now married. And I heard she has a little sister who's also an IVF baby who's a few years younger than her. And, of course, you don't want to be personal and knock on her door and say, so, when are you going to... I know. (laughs) I can guarantee you her doctors are watching her very carefully. Oh, I'm sure. And who knows, if she's only 25, I mean, she could wait for a long time. Well, let's not wait too long. Yeah, well, I know, but... That's the the problem is I think that women assume they're fertile until they're they're 40. Mm -hmm. And that's not true. I mean, fertility, you know, very steadily starts to go down after about 25. And after 35, it goes down even faster. It does start after 25? Yeah, yeah. Very slowly. I mean, you know, a 30-year-old is usually healthy and fertile. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I see so many women who got married 24, 25, 26 and decided to wait until things were perfect. Mm. And they hit 35 and like, oh, we'll try. Or they hit 40 and say, oh, we'll try. Mm. And they had problems. Right. So you certainly don't want someone to try before they're ready. You have to let these women know if you're going to wait till things are perfect. (laughs) Well, and then, of course, I've had, you know, I I train a lot of psychologists here. And I've had three psychologists get pregnant on their honeymoon because they spent... So much time with infertility patients, they were sure they were going to have infertility. Right. So, <laughs> and I guess what? No. Oh, that's funny. Okay, so what's new in the world of um, infertility? You mentioned IVF. You mentioned ICSI. Is there anything else out there that, you know, really hasn't hit the news? Well, I think it's, what's interesting is that I, I, where a lot of clinics are going now are with complementary care. And I, it's interesting because there have been now, I think, 17 studies that have shown that the more distressed a woman is when she starts her IVF cycle, the less likely she is to get pregnant. Mm. And you know what? That didn't change a lot of ways people looked at programs. It was interesting. People didn't look at infertility a different way. But about two years ago, a series of studies came out of Europe that showed that insured women 
drop out of IVF treatment before they have completed their num- covered number of cycles. And they're dropping out like in droves. Why? Like one study showed that between 50 and 65% of patients didn't complete a third cycle. And the number one reason was stress. Oh, my goodness. So all of a sudden now, these clinics are paying attention like, ooh, wait a minute. You know, yeah, stress decreases pregnancy rates. Where stress is also making women drop out of treatment. Yeah. And one study showed that the more depressed a woman was before she started her first IVF cycle, the more likely she was to drop out after only one cycle. Mm. And that got a lot of attention from a lot of clinics. And so what you've seen in the last two years is a huge movement, at least in my eyes, towards providing services to infertility patients to decrease their level of distress. Because there is indeed so much. I mean, obviously, financial. We're lucky here in southern New England, whereas Rhode Island and Massachusetts have really good laws on the books when it comes to insurance, correct? Yep. Yes, yes, yes. But other states in England don't. I think they're I think there are 13 or 15 states in the whole country that have insurance coverage for infertility. Mm-hmm. And even in Massachusetts, you're seeing a lot of companies now are self-insured. Mm-hmm. And if they're self-insured, they don't have to follow the state mandate. That's how they get around it, exactly. So I'm seeing more and more patients now who don't have any coverage, which is new for me because, you know, for the last 20 years we've been spoiled. But in addition to the financial stress, my goodness, I mean, you're talking so much stress within a marriage. Absolutely, because men and women do not respond to infertility the same way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, women tend to be much more upset about it. They tend to want to talk about it more. It affects the quality of their lives much more so than it does the men. And so when you talk to the men, they'll say, yeah, I'm upset about it, but it's not ruining my life. And I really wish my wife would stop crying. I wish she'd stop obsessing about it. You know, why, isn't, why aren't I enough to make her happy? What's the sudden need she has to have a baby? And why is it that, you know, we decide we want to have a baby, and within six months she's a basket case? She was perfectly happy before we decided. And so you get a lot of friction within the couple, especially couples who start trying soon after they get married. Right. And it's their first crisis. First of all, advice for husbands whose wives are going through infertility, and then advice for others, for family members, for friends of people who are undergoing this kind of stress in their life. From Dr. Ali Domar on Vital Women. Yeah, I would say that for the for number one thing for men is men and women cope differently with infertility. And the biggest mistake both members of the couple make is they assume they're coping in the right way and their partner is coping in the wrong way. And so the men who are usually relatively, you know, they're upset about it, but it doesn't almost affect their core like it does women, men have got to stop expecting their wives to feel the same way they do. You just need to give her more leeway and say, you know what, this is really affecting her, and ask her what she needs. You know, when she gets her period, what can you do at that point? Does she need a hug? Does she need you to go out and buy her ice cream? Does she need you to, you know, say, do you want to go take a walk? Don't assume that what works for you works for her. Because, you know, women are very different. And just the way you're handling it is fine for you, but it's not fine for her. Okay. And advice for family members of women who are undergoing infertility? Well, certainly don't ask when they're going to start a family. (laughs) (laughs) And don't give advice. Don't say, oh, did you read that article in such and such magazine? Or, you know, my friend, you know, Maura, her little, you know, do not do that. Do not give them advice because in all likelihood they're probably already seeing a good doctor. They're getting, you know, adequate treatment. And unless you happen to be a physician or have contacts or whatever else, I would would tread very lightly. You know, what I probably would say to her is, you know, I, I am so sorry you're going through this. I know today... You know, it's got to be a really tough day for you. You know, what can I do for you? 
Um, and, you know, for couples on Mother's Day, I often say, you know, go see an R-rated movie or go see an X-rated movie. Go places <laughs> where there are not going to be lots of kids. Go to the comedy club. Go, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Get away from all the families mm-hmm. because, you know, it, it is a really hard day or it can be a really hard day. And a lot of women sort of mark, oh, this is my third Mother's Day where I'm not a mom. Wow. So it's hard. Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned complimentary care just a little while ago, and it is just so wonderful to to see that people in your situation, Dr. Domar, are, you know, looking at the whole person, mind and body. Well, you know, I have to say, I think I've been at Boston IVF now for almost four years, and I think that a lot of these big centers and the really good centers are starting to realize they have to care for the whole patient. You know, they can't just administer drugs and retrieve eggs and combine that with, with sperm. You know, A, because the data shows that, you know, if, if the woman's a basket case, she's less likely to get pregnant. But also, you know, these are caring healthcare professionals. And so that's when we started the Mind Body programs here almost four years ago and have added other services. I think one of the reasons we decided to add a whole range of complementary care services is mainly because patients were doing it anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, I play close to half of our patients, my guests are already doing acupuncture. But the problem is, you know, if you go to any practitioner out there, there's some really, really good ones, and there's some not so good ones. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of alternative practitioners who are, are, are licensed in their field, they're fantastic, they provide really good care. And those are the ones we want our patients to go to. But there are other practitioners who, so when you call them, even on the phone, they'll say, oh, I can get you pregnant. Hmm. If you come see me three times a week for three months, you will be pregnant. And so the, you know, the average woman goes, great, that sounds fantastic. And then three months and $3,000 later, she's still not pregnant. <laughs> and not those fair. are the kinds of practitioners we don't want our patients to be seeing. Right. And so the reason we have a whole center here now for complementary care is it's like I sort of vetted out. It, we brought down the best of the best. And these are the practitioners, whether it's acupuncture, or massage therapy, or a nutritionist, who can really work with the patient and get them as healthy as possible in a responsible, reliable way. Right. And it's all under one roof. You really it's are making it easier for these women because, I mean, sometimes they have to go and visit you every day or every other Absolutely. day for X amount yeah. of time and weeks. I mean, it really does make life easier. And the other thing is that there's been now three studies, three big studies that have shown that women who are doing IVF of acupuncture before and after their, their embryo transfer, mm-hmm. if they do acupuncture for 25 minutes before and after, their pregnancy rates go up significantly. Really? So as of Monday, the 15th, we're going to be the first center, I believe, in New England that it's going to, are going to have acupuncturists in-house. And so the patients can come in and have 25 minutes of acupuncture, then they do their embryo transfer, then 25 more minutes of acupuncture. So they don't have to drive to a different town to get acupuncture. They can get it right here. And the center has been named... After you. Yeah, After... Well, that, that took a little bit of convincing. The physicians <laughs> here really wanted to call it the Alice Domar Center. And we had about six months of, um, I'll say in quotes, discussion. And I kept on saying, you know what, I'm embarrassed. I'm too young and I'm too alive. I really don't want to do this. Aww. Until finally one of the physicians sat down with me and said, look, you have to tell me. We really want to do this. Why won't you do this? And I said, because it feels too egocentric. And then on the way home, I thought, but wait a minute. If we call it just a Domar Center, that can also honor my parents who both have passed away. And that felt better. So I have pictures of my parents all over my office. Awesome. The Domar Center, grounded in science and inspired by compassion. We really want is for patients to come here. And it's not just an infertility center. You know, we treat people with cancer, with PMS, with menopausal symptoms, eating disorders. The idea is that someone who walks in the doors knows that they're going to be seeing a practitioner who is top in their field, who's going to give them responsible, reliable information. They're not going to get false promises. 
Now, considering this is radio, Dr. Domar, could you paint a picture for us, please? You had mentioned a little while ago about walking into the two sections of the center. I mean, obviously, the scientific section is very shiny and bright, lots it's of bright. lights. It's like, it's like high-tech, bright colors, you yeah. know, yellows and oranges, and just, you know, people walk in and go, whoa, and then they open the door to the Domar Center, and it's all done in blues and greens. We have waterfalls on the walls. The waiting room has a stone wall. People just walk in here and go, Ah, it's a whole different place. It's a very quiet place. It's a soothing place. And I remember when we first moved here, I said to one of the physicians, I said, I'm never leaving my job. And he said, why? And I said, because I'll never work in a place as beautiful as this. And he says, well, I hope there are other reasons why you wouldn't leave. I said, no, no, I really like the office. So (laughs) it's a beautiful center. It's it's, It's beautifully decorated. The waterfalls, I cannot tell you how much that adds to the ambiance. Mm Mm-hmm. I bet. Do they have a little cot section for the doctors? <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we now we have massage therapy, we have acupuncture, so we have four beds. Oh, right now. so yeah, so very our massage good. therapist starts next week, and so people are going to be lining up. So it is great to know that you are opening up this facility not only for people who are undergoing infertility, but for all other stressful reasons. It's it's it's, it's you know it's, it's it's interesting because we build it as a woman's health complementary care center, and yet I looked at our schedule, and a lot of people who come here are men. You know, because massage is not just for women. Acupuncture is not just for women. In fact, we have um, one of our acupuncturists who's a a male physician um, treats male sexual dysfunction. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a people's complementary care center, although the focus is on women's conditions. Right, right. That is wonderful to hear. We need to take a minute and talk about chronic stress. And without pulling a Tom Cruise here, Dr. Domar. Oh, man. I mean, do you think some doctors may be dispensing too many antidepressants? I absolutely believe that there are too many people in this country are on antidepressants. Mm-hmm. The antidepressants are designed to treat clinical depression. And, you know, someone with clinical depression has a, a clear set, a clear history and a clear set of symptoms. And those people, you know, do need to do something. You know, obviously, I'd rather see them try something before they go on medication. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for instance, the psychologists here in the center practice what we call cognitive behavior therapy. And that has been shown in study after study after study to be highly effective in the treatment of depression. And so, you know, if a young, healthy person comes to me and says, you know, I've been feeling really cruddy for the last three months, you know, I feel hopeless about the future, I'm not sleeping well, my appetite's not good, you know, I'll probably say, hey, you know, let's try this. Let's try cognitive behavior therapy. And if you don't feel better, let's say in a month, then I'll send you to a psychiatrist for an evaluation. You know, obviously, if someone has a long history of depression, has suicidal issues, obviously that's a very different case scenario where they do need to be on medication and they do need to be followed closely. But if you look at the number of people on antidepressants in this country, a lot of them don't truly have a clinical depression. Mm-hmm. So try the cognitive therapy I first. would definitely try cognitive therapies. You know, try acupuncture. There's, there are a lot of things that have been shown to work with, with depression. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you give it a month. Give it six weeks. I mean, cognitive behavior therapy, if it's going to work, it's going to work fast. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't see our patients more than six or eight weeks. That is good to know because I think some people look at talk therapy as, oh, my gosh, it's going to take forever. I just don't have the time in this day and age. Right. Well, that's what that's traditional psychotherapy or even psychoanalytic therapy where you, you lie on the couch three times a week for 10 years. Mm. Cognitive behavior therapy is, you know, you walk in, we talk about what the issues are, we give you a lot of homework, you go home, you change your behaviors, you change the way you approach situations, and most people get better very quickly. If you're not going to get better, if you're going to get better with cognitive behavior therapy, you get better fast. And, you know, it's, it's fast enough that, you know, if after six weeks someone's not getting better, then it's time to think about alternatives. 
You know, it's been about two decades since in vitro fertilization has been around here in the southern New England area. Yep. Considering it's been that long, any side effects for women who underwent in vitro fertilization? You know, knock on wood, we have not seen any. This is a great you know, thing. We, you know, the, we are not seeing an increased incidence in, in diseases in the mothers. Um, the data I've seen thus far in kids have been presented at the big meetings. You, you aren't seeing anything yet. You know, I think what you are seeing is that, that women who were infertile or, or subfertile, you know, do tend to have somewhat higher-risk pregnancies. The kids tend to be smaller. Um, but, you know, there's some Australian work right now where they're following the kids, and uh, the kids seem to be doing really well. Mm-hmm. So I think the parents are a little overprotective. <laughs> you know, they get fewer babysitters. Right. But, but the children, I mean, I mean, the complicating thing with, with in vitro fertilization research is that so many of the children are multiples. Right. You know, the twins are triplets, and obviously they're going to have much more complicated pregnancies. Aren't you trying to curb those numbers, though? Hugely. Oh, yeah. Our, our multiple rate has, gone, has plummeted because we're, we're putting back fewer embryos. Really? I mean, you, now you can, we have this, this, this uh, grade system where if an embryo looks really good, if it meets certain criteria, it's called a HIP embryo, H-I-P, for high implantation potential. Mm-hmm. And we'll never put back more than two HIP embryos, because, especially in a young woman, because you don't want her to get more than, you don't want her to get twins or triplets. Right. And so, in fact, the multiple birth rate here at Boston IVF has plummeted in the last few years. Do you think most healthcare professionals are finally getting it, you know, finally getting complementary care, taking care of the whole woman? I believe healthcare professionals are inching towards it. I think, you know, your average primary care physician doesn't have time. I mean, they have so little time to see each patient that I think a lot of them aren't able to, to discuss, you know, the different complementary modalities. I, I think we need more, a little more regulation of these complementary or alternative modalities in that, you know, a, a physician cannot say to a patient, I will get you pregnant guaranteed. But there's no one controlling some of these alternative practitioners. I mean, there's, I worry a lot about how vulnerable infertility patients are. It's the same thing as cancer patients. Mm-hmm. These are two very vulnerable populations. And there are practitioners out there who, you know, take advantage of that. I'm sure the vast majority of alternative and complementary practitioners are really good people, and they don't do that. But there are some who do. And so I think it's the responsibility of the, of the referring person, like myself or a physician or whatever, to only refer to alternative or complementary practitioners that we know and trust and we know they're doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, you have to be very careful. When it comes to infertility, can you point women and men, families, in any particular directions of various websites you think are really great? Well, I think our website's good. But, you know, I think the organization, which is actually was founded in Massachusetts, is Resolve. So it's www.resolve.org. Uh-huh. And they have, there's Resolve of the Bay State.org, which is the Massachusetts um, Chapter and I know they, they cover Rhode Island, Island as well. They, co- they absolutely cover Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. And in fact, they have a huge conference in November, I believe now. That's Resolve of New England puts it on, and it, they have you know countless number of workshops, everything you ever want to know about infertility. And I, I trust the information that Resolve provides. Well, thank you so very much, Dr. Alice Domar, for all your time and your knowledge. Dr. Alice Domar, an international leader in the field of mind-body medicine. Well, you've been listening to the best of Vital Women Radio, some wisdom from vital women on the Inspiring Voice podcast. 
The Vital Women interviews were recorded between the years 2003 and 2009. They originally aired on Clear Channel Communication, and now they have a home right here. Inspiring Voice. It's the media outlet of iVoice Communication. The Inspiring Voice podcast is produced by Nicholas Young, music by Jeffrey Blake, and I am Donna Rastigian Mack. Please connect with us anytime at iVoice Communication if you'd like to become a more confident speaker and successful interpersonal communicator. You can contact us through iVoiceCommunication.com. We'll leave you with this one. It's our hope that through a little bit of quiet every day, you can hear your own inspiring voice and be your own inspiring voice so you can create those healthy human connections and build a rich, rewarding life and career.